Hello friends, welcome back to Vantage Point, where the vantage is the point. I'm Joy Jennings, an actor, teacher, and content creator. And I'm Aaron Pope, a connector, cultural specialist, and Bible enthusiast. Welcome to episode 15 of season one. On this podcast, we share our viewpoints in a way that adds value to your life and encourages you to be the best version of yourself. Today, we'll be discussing affirmation and what it speaks to a society driven by it, which will become the backdrop to a greater discussion of how inclusion, visibility, and exclusivity are used to define success and what success really looks like. We are coming off of the weekend of the Oscars, which has um, been always an interesting time to watch because we get to watch an academy uh, and or a group of people make decisions about what is um, excellence and or quality. And that for me has led me to the thought or the notion of affirmation and just the role that it plays in the society, particularly as millennials. Uh, affirmation is defined as an act of saying or showing that something is true. It is a elevated form of validation. Uh, to say that we agree uh, that what you have is what you have. And it is that thought and that conversation about affirmation, which has led me to want to start by speaking to what I would say may not be the root, but it's definitely the trunk in the discussion of how we as a society yearn for affirmation. And what um, that one thing is that I remember, particularly growing up, is a thing known as a participation award. Uh, I don't know if you've um, ever been in playing a sport or whatever and you just didn't qualify, but a participation award was given for those who participated but never placed. And it became this huge phenomenon to where it went from a first, second and third place to everybody gets a trophy or everybody gets an award. And it, to me, took away levels of prestige and honor to reach for those places. Because at the end, it would suggest that we're all going to get something, whether we did good or not. And it created a level of mediocrity for me um, to where we demanded to be honored for effort and not excellence. And in the process of trying to reach for excellence, the bar has been uh, pushed a little further down Um as to what is expected, I can even speak to that to say that, you know, there are some things that I went out for and was interested in. And I reached as high as I thought was necessary, only to find that somebody who did less was um, acknowledged because of a whole nother reason. And it became we are looking for people who look the part or how we can mold them into the part instead of acknowledging the people who are actually qualified. I think there's a lot of great points about that. I think that one of the things about mediocrity, I think that when we take away certain criteria that is needed to be met and we just give everyone the award, it does kind of take away the significance to know that everyone is getting this particular kind of award and that we do want to, I think, focus on, okay, you've met this standard, you've exceeded this standard. And because you've done that, this holds more significance for you. So I see that side. The other side I see is that effort, I think, is very important. And sometimes it is acknowledging perhaps where someone came from. You know, uh, one theory is about grades, how grades in school don't always tell the full picture of someone's progress. So if I started at a D and I'm now a B, a B is still not quite as the same as an A, but if you saw I came all the way from a D and now I have a B, we still want to, I think, acknowledge those kinds of people who um, their process led them to advance. And sometimes the grade doesn't tell the full picture of the process along the way. So I see value in kind of both both things. I, I do think it's important that everyone um, is acknowledged for their own process because everyone's process is different and also everyone learns differently. Um, I can't relate to playing a, um, a sport. I've never gotten that particular kind of award, but I, I do think it's important to acknowledge um, how, how far someone has come because sometimes you can still miss 
the mark. Maybe you didn't quite get, you know, first place, but you still, you trained hard and you put in the time, you put in the practice. And so is it possible to still, you know, kind of affirm those, you know, kids in that instance who, okay, you didn't quite win, but I, I see that you worked hard. I see how far you've come. So, so they can still be encouraged to continue on and get to, you know, that maybe that first place title, you know? I agree. And to a certain extent, I also still feel like we should be pushing people to not just show up. That showing up, yes, is worth honoring and showing up and being present is worth something to acknowledge. But at the same point or the same thought, I would suggest that that participation is not just uh, not just a result, but it's required that if you're going to get anything and get to that place of being at the top or being exceptional or just being above average. We don't even have to call it a placement or anything like that. We can just speak to being exceptional or doing things in excellence. There has to be a moment where you move from just showing up to participating and being a part of that success. Success is not um, given and we've got to um, pull, pull people from using moments of affirmation to qualify their success. Yeah, I agree. And I think the thing with affirmation is, um, you know, sometimes we don't always get it from the outside that sometimes we have to affirm ourselves. Sometimes we're waiting for a parent or a friend or someone to affirm us. Um, but, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about this as we go on with our conversation, but I know I think affirmation is very important, especially positive affirmation. You know, a lot of studies have shown that more people benefit from positive affirmation, but it's oftentimes something that people struggle with giving people that I'm, I'm affirming you, even though you may not be completely there, I'm affirming you where you are in the process. And, and again, you know, how far you've come, because if I know your journey and I know what it took you just to get to a place where you could participate, that just the mere fact that you're here and that you're participating for you is quite an accomplishment. And that's why I like the definition of affirmation, because it is um, basically agreeing that something is true. They may not be at that place, but you see it in them. This is true about them. They have the potential to become this thing or this is in them. It speaks to I can agree with what I see, even though it's not at the fullness of it being. It could just be budding. It could just be sprouting. But affirmation says I see a bigger picture than where you currently are. And I like that. Uh, which has led me to uh, an interesting interview, um, particularly as I always think about millennials, though I disconnect myself often because they're crazy. Um, <laughs> no, but um, there was an interesting article that I had an opportunity to come across uh, talking about toxic positivity and just the dark side of how we've become overly extended in being positive that we have diminished and or downplayed the reality of what we're really going through. Um, and I thought that was an interesting concept because I think that as we navigate through the conversation, it'll play a huge part in what we think success is. Um, the article is written by um, Samara Quintero and Jamie Long. They are um, members of a toxic positivity group um, and a psychological group uh, that is based in Arkansas, I believe. Um, but one of the things they speak to in the um, article, they define toxic positivity as an excessive and ineffective overgeneralization of a happy, optimistic state. And they basically say that uh, toxic positivity is, uh, to put it in layman's term, is when we've gotten to, gotten to that place where we downplay what's really going on to the point where we don't say you know, what it really is. It's beyond the state of the cup being half full or half empty. It is now, oh, whatever's in the cup is in the cup. And we've just got to be glad about it to where we don't or aren't formulated to gauge where we are. Um, one of the things that they speak to is uh, two states that I think is very important um, that I see a lot, particularly within millennials is denial and just the whole notion to deny what they're really going through and or how they're really feeling about experiences. And then the second part of that is um, the minimization of uh, invalidation of an authentic human experience to where they utilize themselves to 
get to a place where they experience a moment, but they don't experience the emotionalism and or have come to a psychological perspective to say that they are angry or they do feel some kind of way because it reinforces something negative and they only want to enforce positivity to where they downplay their own experience. And I thought that this article was very, very interesting, particularly with millennials and yearning for affirmation, but at the same time, uh, not knowing what to do with the affirmation they seek. Yeah, that, that a lot of great points are brought up in that. And uh, one, I've never heard of the term toxic positivity. So I think that's really an interesting kind of concept. I think that uh, when you bring up things like denial, you know, I think it's important to, I like to consider myself as a person who looks at the glass as, you know, half half um, full rather than half empty. But at the same time, I think it's important to also be a realist and to see things for how they are, um, acknowledge things for how they are, because in order sometimes to advance, I think it's important to say, this is where I am. This is what I'm feeling. I think sometimes we may be raised in a paradigm where we're taught certain feelings are not okay. Even like feelings of, uh, of anger that you mentioned, some people are raised in a household where they were taught to express myself and how I really feel is not okay. You know? And so they may grow up minimizing or denying how they feel because they weren't shown that it was okay to be able to, you know, display those kinds of emotions. And so to get to a place where you can be honest with yourself about what you're feeling and what you're and what you're going through and, and owning your own experience. I do think that's that's important. It reminds me of what I see in a lot of religious pockets, and that's just the whole um, I don't have to claim it. So, you know, God can do something with it. And it's you go on and claim that you're sick. So when it comes time for God to heal you, you can say that it was actually a thing to deny it, it dismisses the opportunity for something to change. And I think that when it comes to millennials and just um, toxic positivity, we just get so wrapped up in everything's always good, always good, always good, that when rainy days come, they aren't proper, properly equipped to handle a rainy day. Because the truth is, it ain't always going to be your turn and it's not always going to be your hour. And those moments of affirmation, you'll have to hold on to in the seasons where they don't readily pop up. And if that's the case, you can't live your life based on waiting for those moments. Um, one of the things that I thought was important, particularly in the article, was that it talks about how we disregard the reality of what we're going through and say, you know, oh, no, that's not a thing or, oh, no, that's not important. And it speaks to people who um, oftentimes um, get over an opportunity without actually resting in it and or um, brushing off things um, particularly things that involve emotions. And I thought that was important because one of the last things they end with um, is this whole notion of the reason why positivity can become toxic is because if it's not fully embraced, it leads to places of shame for where you shame yourself for being great. You shame yourself for the failures, for the mistakes, for um, for the accidents, and even in the success, you find shame mm. that you don't deserve it, that you're not worthy of it, that it can't happen to you. And if it does happen to you, you just lucked up instead of saying I was qualified, I was talented enough, I embraced it enough. And you utilize things to compensate for positivity to the point where now it becomes a detriment and you can't fully embrace or walk in an affirmation. I, you know, can speak to a personal moment where I am known for saying, you know, when I get a compliment, the Lord is kind. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just how I respond to a compliment. But I do remember saying it to um, someone I worked with and um, they basically said, no, accept the compliment. And it rung in my ear because I was pushed to a place where I couldn't even readily receive the affirmation because it was just like, oh, it's just a job or it's just a thing. And you know how we've got to move beyond how um, affirmation can make us numb in some places and keep us from fully embracing success. Yeah, I think that a lot of people are in that kind of position. I've been there myself, too, where it's hard to receive a, a compliment. Um, it, it's a it's really a, a thing to really investigate and everyone has different reasons for it. But sometimes the simplest answer is just to say, thank you. 
and, and no more information is uh, is needed, but we'll oftentimes reject it. I think there have been moments I've rejected it because I didn't feel worthy of the compliment or because I'm so hard on myself. I found something wrong in what I did, even though someone else saw value in it. In my mind, I'm telling myself, well, I could have done it better. I mean, I did it, but that could have been different. That could have been different. This could have been different. And it can be very exhaustive. And so to have someone say that, like a part of me would just be like, oh, that's that's nice. But I mean, it's a lot I could have did differently about that. And sometimes uh, we need to give a break to ourselves first and foremost, because sometimes we can be so hard on ourselves. We don't have to wait for someone else to be hard on us. We're already our worst critic oftentimes. And so to be able just to take a break and say, okay, this is me objectively looking at what I did. And sure, there could be things I could improve upon, upon, but can I take a moment to just affirm myself and acknowledge what I've done along this process and receive a compliment or an affirmation from someone else when they give it to me? And being okay with those emotional moments that aren't always uh, suggested to be the best. The truth is you're not happy all the time. The truth is, like you said, we are our worst critics sometimes and our, give ourselves the harshest critique. But being OK to sit in the pocket to say I didn't give my best there, being OK with to say, you know, I wasn't 100 percent there and being OK with having that moment instead of feeling the pressure to have to show up on 10,000 every time and knowing how to adjust and how to move forward and giving the best version of yourself. Absolutely. I think a lot of us are guilty every day of being dishonest when we're asked, how are you doing? <laughs> and most people will routinely just say, OK, I'm OK, even though, you know, you were up all last night crying or you got a lot in your mind and will just say, oh, I'm OK. Uh, a lot of times because it's such a it's such a societal norm that it's expected that people would ask that question. Most people ask it. They don't have any I would suggest desire to really have a truthful answer. They're just expecting you to say, oh, it's okay. I'll keep it short. But uh, we'll oftentimes also maybe feel like we're a burden on someone else. So we don't want to go into it or we trust, or we may think that if I reveal this information, the person won't be able to handle the depth of how I'm really doing. So I'll just, you know, keep it moving and say, okay, or we we minimize what we're going through or think it's not worthy enough to mention to uh, to someone else. I agree. And just lastly, that it speaks to, cause this is you know, when you spoke to that, it just made me recall this. And that is, it spoke to this whole notion of that. Sometimes millennials don't feel entitled as much as they are fearful, mm. um, fearful of the critique of the previous generation, fearful of, um, how they will show up. Um, I know your ethic is very, very strong. Um, and a number of other people who I know who have strong work ethics who don't take days when they should and, you know, <laughs> don't always, you know, uh, take self-care and all that. And, and not to suggest that everybody has to do those things, but there is a group of people who it's been placed in them to if you do, how will that show up at work? Or if you don't, you know, how would those things play a part in that and how millennials are going after stuff because secretly they're. <laughs> scared, not because they feel entitled. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's a process. So many people I know are in that boat where they don't even know how to take a vacation or, or take a break. And, you know, when I took a break in January, I took a week off and that was, that was a stretch for me. I'd never taken that much time. Um, uh, besides the point in time where uh, a few years back, I was laid off from the job I had at that time. I was off for a little over a month and that was the longest time I've been, you know, off from, from work, but to give myself permission to, um, be okay with not being there. But it, it was a struggle because, you know, like you had alluded to taking the time off, a part of me was still concerned about work or a task being done. So it was like, I couldn't fully detach my mind from being at work and just really enjoy the the time off. It took me a while to really adjust to that. And it's okay to rest sometimes. I think we don't always have to be actively doing something. Even during the the pandemic, you know, there was a narrative a lot of people had about, you know, I'm I'm really productive. I'm doing so much during the pandemic. I'm getting so much accomplished. And that's great if that's what you've got done. But some people almost felt ashamed because it seemed like they had taken the time to kind of, you know, relax or reflect, or maybe they weren't quite as active in accomplishing tangible things. But is there still value to be had if you can just rest 
and be still and be present. I think we live in a society where we always attach something valuable to things that are tangible. So if, if I'm not actively doing things and if I'm not visible, that somehow means that what I'm doing doesn't have quite as much worth as someone else who's always visible and out front. But I could still be doing a lot of internal work that is necessary for me to get to a place where I would do something that is out front or more visible. Uh, we always put value on the things that are easily seen, but oftentimes the greatest work happens in things that are not seen. And I think that's important for us to really uh, embrace as a culture. I agree. And I like that because that's one of the reasons why I chose this article. One of the things that I'm often interested in is not what people do to us, but what we do to ourselves. And I think sometimes it's toxic, um, what they would call toxic positivity that uh, leads us to a place where we self-sabotage because we are scared to, you know, be in a certain place or scared to get to a certain place and or in our minds, we have what society says success is for the place I want to be at. Hmm. What society says success is. And that's oftentimes what we'll do. We'll define our success by what society says. So I know a lot of the things that you were discussing is about affirmation. And what I looked up was success. And that kind of leads me into that. So when we talk about success, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines success as favorable or desired outcome, a favorable or desired outcome. It can also be defined as the attainment of wealth, favor, or eminence. And I would suggest that a lot of us in this culture, we kind of use that second definition of the attainment of wealth, favor, or eminence that we're looking for something tangible, something material. And if we haven't reached that in our career um, or in other areas of life, then somehow we're not successful. Usually when someone is successful, it's oftentimes, especially when it comes to career, it, it has something related to um, financial gain. But I think it's important for us to define success for ourselves. I believe we should have an individual definition of what success is. Oftentimes, like I mentioned earlier, I think it's in the reverse that we allow our success to be defined by external sources. So if I'm not successful as my family or my friends or society says, then somehow I've not attained success. And oftentimes we, we measure it by that. We end up very disappointed if we haven't achieved specific things by a specific time frame. And those things in that time frame are not really us. There are thoughts that were germinated from outside sources. And for me, I think success is I'm living in my purpose and I'm doing what God has ultimately called me to do. That to me is successful living. I think, you know, when you say you're, a certain thing, like if I say I'm an actor, oftentimes people will say, you know, when are you going to Hollywood or when are you going to be in a Tyler Perry film, <laughs> you know, or when are you going to be successful and successful to them is if you're not on TV and you're not in a movie and you're not making a lot of money and accepting an Academy Award, then somehow you haven't reached success. But to me, it's always been, I want to do something that transforms lives and promotes change. And for a lot of people, that is not something that they would think of if you said, I wanted to be an artist or, or an actor. They're looking at the glitz and glamour of it. So it's been important for me to have my own definition of what it means to be successful. I also found an article from Psychology Today. It's called The Five Steps to Being Successful at Anything. And it's by Ronald Riggio. And number one is have a plan. And he mentions in the article, a plan is uh, something clearly defined goals and the means to assess whether you've attained your goals. I think that's very important. And it mentions something called smart goals, which some of you may have heard of. I've heard it in corporate settings at work. Uh, it's often used to manage the performance of people. But uh, smart goals are defined as one, something that is specific. So to make your goals specific and narrow for more effective planning. Then the M is something that is measurable. Define what evidence will prove you're making progress and reevaluate when necessary. A lot of us who have worked different jobs, you know, every now and then we'll have 
a one-on-one and we oftentimes will look at our progress. Some people do it monthly, some people do it quarterly, some people do it annually. It's just to kind of check in to say, you know, these maybe are some of the goals you had for your career or for your role. And have you reached those goals? What are the time frame that you've, you've given yourself with which to reach that particular goal? I think it's important to uh, have a plan. And, and also, I think, you know, it holds us accountable if we have an actual an actionable plan. Um, the A would be attainable. And that is make sure you can reasonably accomplish your goal within a certain time frame. So it shouldn't be something that is so crazy you could never accomplish it. You know, sometimes you may have a vision that's so grand. And if we don't accomplish it, you know, one, it wasn't maybe there was a process that had to be undertaken in order for you to get to that end result. So it can't just be. I want that. Okay, well, there's smaller steps along the way before you get to the end. So what is attainable right now? What are some things you can work towards that end goal right now? And I think when we break it up into chewable morsels like that, it's more realistic. The R is relevant and relevant is your goals should align with your values and long term objectives. But that also implies that we need to know what our values are and what our long term objectives are. Oftentimes people don't even know what their values are and they don't know what they're going for. Uh, So that would be a first step before even getting to attainable. I think Uh, the R is relevant. Uh, I'm sorry. The T is time based. And that is a set of realistic, ambitious end date for task prioritization and motivation. So what's the, the time frame that you're you're looking at when you are setting a a smart goal. I think sometimes, you know, some of us do this unconsciously, but I think it's a good structure to approach if you were trying to accomplish something, something specific, because it's not just going to fall into our laps. It has to have some kind of work or effort in order to, uh, to attain it and to be successful at it. Um, have you encountered a moment where you think maybe you've worked towards creating something like a smart goal? I am um, very proactive when I start a job. I know where I want to be within a year um, and I know where I want to be as far as longevity is concerned. Uh, And that's something I picked up to do is when I go into a new place and a new space to say, where do I want to be within the year? Even if it's only going to last a year, I want to know that I've, like you said, have something to measure my progress by. That if I'm still in the same place and or still have the same skills or still utilizing the same things that I started with and I'm, you know, haven't really reached the max that I could. And so I do um, oftentimes use measurements for me as far as uh, levels of success and moving forward. Yeah, I think that's a good thing to do. And another thing I will add to this that I think will be helpful because there'll be moments where we may create a goal, but perhaps we did not reach the end result of that goal. I think it's important, as I mentioned earlier, to be kind to ourselves because sometimes we'll beat ourselves up if we set a goal, but we don't think we've reached that particular goal. But can we have compassion and be kind to ourselves and forgive ourselves um, and, and not be too hard to say, okay, you know, Sometimes we'll even give up if we feel like we've tried it once, but it didn't work. That sometimes, you know, I think those micro goals and that larger goal, you know, that that larger goal may be to get here. But what work do we need to do in order to get to that that end goal Um, and to not let a failure perhaps discourage us from continuing on? Because sometimes when you talk about long term goals, months, weeks, months, years can it, it can take sometimes in order to reach a certain place, um, but important not to give up as we go, you know, along the journey. And the uh, the next point is uh, study and learn the game. The author defines the game as social competence or social intelligence. Uh, success in the workplace, it says, or in relationships is all about knowing how to behave appropriately and in a way to get desired outcomes. You know, one of the things that this reminds me of is that oftentimes in work environments, people will say dress for the job you want, not for the job you have. I think that's an interesting thing. And it, I've seen people do that. I believe I've done that myself at certain points in time where, you know, you're starting at one level, you know, ultimately that's where you want to go. So 
dressing a certain way may change the way you walk or may change your attitude. And you go in there in that mental space already functioning in where you want to be. You're not waiting to get there. You're already seeing yourself. You're already declaring yourself that you are there instead of just waiting for it to come. And then, okay, now I'm going to function and now I'm going to have the mentality. No, I've had it all along. So I was prepared for that moment when I finally got that opportunity or that position or that relationship. I've done the work that was needed already uh, to get there. Number three is learn from failures. Uh, The article quotes and it says, uh, research tells us when we learn, we learn more from failures than success. You know, one of the questions I had here is why is it hard for us to embrace this? Why is it hard for us to embrace learning from from failures? You know, oftentimes that that's been a struggle for me. Like I, I don't want to have to fail, you know, and and it's hard to to learn from it because a part of me wanted to be once wanted it to be perfect, and if it wasn't perfect and it fell short of that, you know, it was hard for me to to learn from it. But looking back, I will say that oftentimes I have learned better when things did not go the way I wanted them to go, as opposed to when they went the way I wanted them to. So I I do find that when we have a perceived failure to look at it as a learning opportunity, and again, you know, to not be so, so hard on ourselves to say, okay, what, what happened? What went wrong? What can be done at a later point in order for me to correct this or do it in a better or more efficient way? I agree. And one of the things I like, um, because this is something that I've learned to do, um, and that is embrace failures in the place. I always uh, say this, and that is I'd rather fall from two steps than the 20 because I want to learn the mistakes and learn how to be better early on than to get to the top or get to what they say is the top and blow it all because I didn't learn the experiences that were needed and or necessary to actually stay and position myself at the top. One of the things that I often um, also like about um, that I've learned to embrace about failure is, um, and I'm, the author slips my mind at the time, but the book is called Failing Forward hmm. and how the failure is the launch for your forward. It is not the backtrack. It is not the going backwards. It is not to stifle. It is to set you up properly for the success for that next place. Yeah. You know, I think that speaks to it's all about what you do with it, that you can't necessarily control what's coming at you, but what you make out of it is entirely within your realm to be able to control, you know, or make the best out of the situation, you know, whatever that that is, use it as an opportunity to to learn from it and use it to your you, your advantage. You can turn it around. It depends on the story and the narrative, really, that you're telling yourself about the situation. It could be, you know, doom and gloom, or it could be, okay, that happened. And now I'm using it as the fuel and ammunition to get to a new and better place. Uh, You know, it just depends on what you are affirming with inside of yourself and for yourself. When you take away the sting of fear from failure, I think you can function in in a different way. When you say that I'm not scared to fail, not scared to fall, not scared to do a certain thing, you'll function in a certain way. A quick example, and that is, you know, just when it's ice outside or whatever, and you slip and fall, the first thing we do is we look to see who saw us fall. Right. (laughs) Uh, And and that's a, that's a, a hard habit to have because now we're expecting, we have more fear out of people seeing us in the failure than we actually do from the lesson of, all right, it's ice right there. I'm going to move on and, or simply just laughing it off and saying, all right, I took one, (laughs) took an L for the team. And just how, um, like I said, when you remove the sting of fear from failure, it'll teach you how to embrace it differently. Yeah. You know, and that reminds me like, you know, what would we really be capable of doing if we didn't place emphasis on what other people would think of, feel about what it is that we're doing because so much of what we do and or don't do sometimes even more of a degree to what we don't do is based on other people's perception of us. Like if I do this or if they see this, they could critique me or they may not like it or they may not find worthiness or value in it. And so I may move, but I may be hindered or I may choose not to move because I don't want to face other people and their experiences or their perceptions of me. We oftentimes put so much on other people and not as much on ourselves and what we, what value we assign to what it is that 
we're doing because sometimes we can do something and people may not see the worth in it. They may not think it's worthwhile, but do we have the courage to see that it's worthwhile in spite of other people's affirmations or lack thereof of what it is that we are doing? And that leads me into my next point, uh, point four in the article, and that is to celebrate small wins, celebrate small wins. And the article, uh, it says, and I quote, to take time to celebrate each important milestone or gain on your path to ultimate success. And a clear illustration of this to me is actually in the word of God in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, it details uh, God's creation of the heavens and the earth. And in uh, chapter one, verse two, it says in the King James Version, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And as the verses that succeed that talk about God creating the heavens and creating the earth. And at the end of verses 10, 12, 18, 21, and 25, it ends with the phrase, and God saw that it was good. So verse 10 at the end, and God saw that it was good. 12, and God saw that it was good. 18, and God saw that it was good. When we go to the end of the chapter of verse, or of chapter one, uh, verse 31, it says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. So very in that context is used as an adverb and it means in a high degree. So that distinguished that from the other goods that were in the other verses, but God allowed it to be so that it mentions that at the end of those verses I mentioned, uh, 10, 12, 18, 21 and 25, it says that he saw that it was good, even though it wasn't completed. But each of those steps, he still took time to see that it was good, that it was in harmony for what he wanted, for the desired outcome that he wanted. And so many of us will wait to a verse 31. We're waiting for it to be completed in order to see the value in it. But I think that's important along the way to celebrate those micro wins. We're not at the macro point yet, but we can still assign our own value and worth to what it is that we're doing and to see that, okay, that was a, a smaller objective and I was able to meet that. I don't have to wait until everything is completed in order to have um, acknowledgement of what it is. And again, it also goes back to that we are assigning our own uh, worth and value to it. We're not waiting for someone else to see that it was good, but we ourselves can see that it met the desired outcome that we created. We create the goal. You know, God created the goal. It wasn't given to him, but he, he created it and he was able to take the time to acknowledge along the way, along those, uh, micro portions that it had value in it, even though it wasn't, um, completed. And the last point I have here is uh, point five, be persistent. The article is quoted as saying major learning or significant change are not easy to accomplish. So it is important to work hard and be persistent. And, you know, uh, persistence is key because it's one thing to do something, you know, in an isolated manner, but to continue to do it time and time again, even if we look at what we've done with the, the podcast, it's required consistency. It's to say, okay, the first time, all right, we were able to do that. We were able to pull it off, but can we consistently week after week after week do this? Um, it required effort. It also requires sacrifice times where we may not feel like doing it or times we may want to do something else. The amount of work and effort it takes to record it, to release it, to market it, that takes time. It takes sacrifice. And, you know, it's cute to do something one time, but can you consistently commit to doing something? It does require a tremendous amount of effort, but it's necessary, I think, in order to be successful. The most successful people if you show me the most successful person, I'll also show you a person who gave a tremendous amount of effort and consistency in what it is that they were reaching for, that it won't just fall into your lap, but you have to consistently be willing to do the things that are needed to reach that um, end result. I like that because it speaks to um, how, it, particularly if we jump back to what you just stated about, you know, it being good 
and knowing it was good in progression of stages. What I like about persistence is you get the opportunity to reach for excellence. That persistence says that there is uh, a moment where you elevate because of your effort. Um, and in that elevation, because of your effort, you can reach a place of excellence that you have taken those times or those moments to have the times where you offer yourself to evolve and grow. And that comes with persistence. With this podcast, we have learned a lot where we started in our first episode is not even where we are even now. But like you said, it did come with some levels of persistency that also encouraged us to do better, be better. And I would suggest that it is consistency or the ability to be persistent that pushes or pulls on excellence. Yeah. Yeah. I think that people oftentimes may want excellence, but they don't want to do what's required in order to reach it because it does come with the cost. Even doing what we do, it comes with the cost. And, you know, what we're doing is a living example of everything that we've, we've talked about in terms of affirmation that we, we didn't wait for anyone to affirm what it is that we're doing. Um, we had to be secure and comfortable enough and not only doing what we're doing, but doing it in the way that we're doing, because there were temptations for me, at least, okay, how is this supposed to sound? You know, what are we supposed to talk about? What do people want to listen to instead of doing what it is that we were led to do in the way that only we could do it. And those who get it, they get it. And those who don't, they don't. And that's okay. Not everyone is meant to get it. Sometimes we focus so much on the people who we want to get it that we lose sight of the people who it's really meant for. Because sometimes you're reaching an entire demographic of people who may not be anywhere within your direct sphere. Like maybe your audience is someone completely unknown to what it is that you have grown up with and that you've seen. And so now you want so much the people who you've been with to get you, but maybe they don't have the capacity to get you, or maybe what you have is not directly for them. Maybe it's for someone else. So it could be a less productive to try to focus on getting those people to understand and spending more time to target that true group that gets you without any work, without any persuasion, without any convincing, they get it. The light bulb goes off and it clicks. And that, often is more fruitful to me to focus on that than those who may not get it because not everything is for everyone to get. And just creating that as a level of success that we don't have to um, be like anyone else or do the same way that someone else is doing it um, and or utilize again what society says is success to um, walk in a place of success. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so for me, ultimately, I think that when it comes to success, that should be something that we as individuals decide what that is. What does it mean to be successful for you and to have something measurable for what your definition of success is? Um, I think that ultimately is important. And, and we look at, you know, affirmations. I think affirmations for me, uh, let it start with, with you. You know, to not have to look outside of us ourselves to receive that affirmation. I think it should almost be the icing on the cake, maybe if someone else does it. But can it start with us? You know, you had started by mentioning the um, Academy Awards and we just came off of that. You know, um, we've recorded it before it aired, so I don't know who the winners are. But it's not oftentimes something I personally focus on. For me, the Academy Awards are their entertainment. Um, I think that when we look at the Academy Awards, oftentimes people look to it to define who they are. Like I'm not an accomplished actor unless I get this kind of award. This is the highest achievement. It gives me validity. I've made it now because I won an Academy Award. And I don't necessarily think it's uh, healthy or productive to look at it that way because the work is so much greater than just the awards. Some of the greatest movies of all time have not won an Academy Award. They were overlooked or, you know, for whatever reason, they just didn't get the award. But does the movie have any less value because it didn't win an award? Or, you know, look at authors. You know, if I don't make the New York Times bestseller, I'm not a legit author. Well, no, people could have still found value in what it is that you created or you found value in it 
first and foremost yourself. It doesn't necessarily need to have certain kinds of accolades in order for the work itself to have worth and value. I agree. And what I also thought is, or think it's interesting rather about uh, the Academy Awards is that, and this is what I was alluding to earlier, um, that there are places where we yearn for definitions of success that either don't include us, uh, don't show us enough. Um, and when I say us, I say anybody by way of minority and or, you know, uh, something different that quote unquote Hollywood says isn't appropriate um, or isn't in. And um, just how exclusive it is. You've got to be a certain place, you know, do a certain thing, uh, make certain sacrifices or, you know, rub elbows with the right people that it almost becomes um, political and, you know, a, a game to a certain extent versus we're actually acknowledging people for the success that they really have. I agree with you. There are some movies that I'm like are incredible and weren't even acknowledged, weren't even, you know, even mainstream, but are incredible by way of the writing, by way of how the story is told, by way of the cinematography. And we just bypass those things because we acknowledge um, either the blockbuster and or what is the hot topic for the time. Yeah. You know, um, I could find it valuable. It could be worthwhile. And other people thought it was crap, you know, but I, I still found value in it. I think that's ultimately the most, um, the most important things. And, you know, we live in a, a society really that we're so driven by awards and accolades and these affirmations. And again, I think they can have their place, but it really should start with you. It should start with us as individuals about what it is that we value and assign our own worth. It's our, our own worth because if you don't have that defined for yourself, you'll be so easily swayed by the opinions and the approval and the validation of other people. So it must first start with you. What are some of your takeaways from our uh, conversation today? Um, I have several takeaways. My first takeaway is, um, we must be mindful that when we are looking at things or gauging what success is for us, that sometimes it's hard to gauge it when you're the blueprint. We've got to be careful uh, to not gauge or find success in things that have never been done before. You may be the one who will articulate what success really is in that place and how we've got to be uh, mindful to not look to people who either have not been where we're going and or um, are utilizing a place that hasn't been established as a way uh, to gauge success, because that may be a low success for you. The truth is, after you reach that, there may be another plateau, another level that you can reach. But if you stop at that one place and or you gauge that as a level of success, you sold yourself short on the destiny that's been set up for you. Uh, another takeaway is trust in what you have. I'm constantly learning to trust in what I have, having uh, been a uh, a preacher in the large church for 20 plus years now, I am still in a place where I am learning to trust what he gave me not to be like anybody else, not to do it like anybody else, but to be solid in what I have to know that what I have is enough for whoever he has postured me to have it for. Uh, and that's a level of success for me. That's an affirmation that what I have is enough that I don't have to add to or mimic or be like engage success by thousands of people or less than or however uh, society says it's supposed to be that I can fully trust in what I have. And lastly, that I feel like we should stop asking people to affirm what you're not even confident about. We ask people to affirm and say, hey, agree with me about what I have in me. And the truth is you're not even confident and or sure and or in a place where you trust in and or are OK with what's inside of you, that you're not even confident that the truth is it still scares you. The truth is you find yourself lost in moments of self-sabotage. The truth is that it still carries a little bit of weight with you. And we've got to be mindful to be careful to not ask people to affirm what we're not even solid in yet. Affirmation comes when you're solid. It is the affirmation that affirms and says, I agree with you. Not, I am telling you that what you have, this is what you have. I'm not telling you you're an actor. 
I'm affirming that there's an actor in you because I see it already. Yeah, you know, I think that's really important because some people are looking not just for someone's advice or their opinion, but they're looking for them to give them something that they can't give them. Another person can't give you your own value and your own sense of self-worth. You have to know it. You know, there was a show on OWN. uh, I think it was Love Is. And there was a scene with Loretta Devine and she was talking to her son, who I believe was an aspiring writer in Hollywood. And he was very hard on himself. And she had said something to encourage him. And she said, you know what? I can say these things all day long, but it doesn't work if you don't believe it. You know, it, it, it doesn't work if you don't believe it. It has to be something that's internal for you. So I think that's very important that you have to be solid in it for yourself. No one else can give that to you because if they give it to you and it feels good in that moment, that may, may be temporary. It's not something that's going to be lasting. You have to work on that within yourself so that it's something that's permanent, that can't be shaken by any outside force. And, you know, that whole bit about comparison, you know, we had an episode a little while ago called Comparison Kills Contentment. And I think it's very important here as well, especially on the road to success. And I like what you said about, you know, what do you do when it's uncharted territory? There is nothing to compare it against. So really, you're kind of out here making it up as you go along, really, which in a way is freeing. But in a way, it doesn't provide that security when you're the only person in your family to graduate from college or you're the first person in your family to have a certain kind of career and you've outlived what it is that you grew up with or that you've seen. It can be a very scary place. So it definitely requires trust that you have to trust. And often, you know, we talk about trust. It's not oftentimes something that is uh, tangible or, or concrete. It allows us just to surrender. We have to surrender ourselves in order to fully um, trust, I believe. And, you know, lastly, I'll just say again, that it's just a personal, a personal process. Define for yourself what success is and define for yourself um, affirmation, affirm and encourage yourself. Don't wait for someone else to do that for you. And friends, we do thank you for listening to our vantage points today. And we certainly do hope that you found value in our conversation. We look forward to having you all join in again next Tuesday. Stay connected to us on social media for updates and more content. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for the name of our platform, Our Father's Table. If you should have any questions, comments, or show ideas, they can be sent to vantagepointpod at gmail.com. And now, friends, it's time for Fields of Vision. This is the segment of the show where we highlight a quote or text to help encourage and inspire you. What I am looking for is not out there. It is in me. Helen Keller. It's already in you. The will, the effort, the persistence, the wherewithal. It's already in you. The ability to start, the strength to get back up, the ability to finish. It's already in you. The ability to affirm and encourage yourself. It's already in you. I give you permission to no longer wait for someone else to affirm what God put in you. Know that because he gave it to you, he has also given you what you need to see it through to completion. And that does it for us here today at Vantage Point. I'm Troy Jennings. And I'm Aaron Pope. We thank you for joining us and look forward to you joining us next time. Until we meet again, friends, be well.